There's a scene after the resurrection when Jesus builds a fire on the beach and cooks breakfast for his disciples over it. You've probably heard us talk about it. Preachers love it. After everything that's come between them, the betrayal, abandonment, death, it's a scene of reconciliation. Jesus pulls Peter to the side especially and affirms his calling to lead the community three times, one for each time that Peter denied him. Their relationship is restored. It's, it's better than it was before. And, and death has been defeated and love has won. And Jesus promises to be with them whenever they gather, wherever they go. But that's after. And this sermon is about before. Our scripture today starts at the pinnacle of Peter's life as a disciple. He correctly identifies Jesus as the Messiah, and he's rewarded by being named the foundation of the church, the rock on which it will be built. Things in the Jesus movement are flourishing. Miracles are being done. People are being healed and fed. Crowds are gathering, huge crowds. The world is about to change, and in that instant, Jesus changes his tone. He starts talking about death, about his own death and suffering. That it's inevitable, that it's actually coming soon, that they should prepare themselves. And, and standing there with so much beauty and goodness, with so much to lose, with the child of God there in the flesh beside him, who wouldn't protest like Peter does? The idea that it's all going to go away, to end, to be destroyed. Or, or even if we take away the supernatural bits about who Jesus is, just standing there with a beloved friend in the prime of his life, a truly good person whom you love deeply, which one of us wouldn't do whatever was in our power to keep him from suffering and dying? That's where Peter's head is at. God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. And Jesus shows no sympathy with that way of thinking. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. When white colonizers came to North America, they found fire already on the landscape. Places that burned naturally every two years or every five and had been for a long time. And places where indigenous people had been practicing fire ecology as part of their stewardship of the land for over 10,000 years. But the fire scared the colonizers it's danger and destruction, it's threat to their livelihoods and livestock, to everything that they hoped to build in this place and grow on that land. And standing there, looking out at the landscape, seeing the life that flourished on it, imagining the homes they would create, they thought, who wouldn't want to protect it from destruction? Who wouldn't do whatever they had to do to keep this place from burning? And so, they did. 
They suppressed the fire. They ended cultural burning practices. They put out natural fires. They worked hard to keep the land from burning, and they were wildly successful. Even today, when we're horrified by the wildfires that we see, especially in the West, ecologists say there's actually less fire on the land than there was even a few hundred years ago. And the results are catastrophic. Areas that used to burn every couple of years have built up fuel for decades and centuries. Forests that used to be full of tall, fire-resistant trees that benefited when all the small and medium-sized ones burned. They're now full of, of small and medium-sized trees. And areas like the Sierra Nevada have actually filled in with more trees than they would have had naturally, linking up what would have been isolated pockets of forest protected from one another. And all of it means now that we have fires that burn longer over larger areas with much greater intensity, not the smaller, less destructive fires that spotted owls and gopher tortoises and Lewiston's milkwort adapted to for thousands of years, but ecologically devastating fires that destroy everything in their paths. In avoiding the destruction of good fire, we've created bad. Jesus knows that bad things come from the fear and avoidance of suffering and death. It won't surprise him later when Peter raises up a sword and cuts the ear off of one of the guards who comes to arrest him that he becomes this reflection of the violent empire that they've been opposing all along. It won't shock him when that same fear makes Peter deny him and the movement that they've built together. But Jesus still tries to stop him, to show Peter the error of his ways. He tells all the disciples right after this, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their crosses, and follow me. And I want to pause here and say that the church has gotten this piece deeply wrong, has drastically and disastrously misunderstood Jesus's words. The church has taught people, maybe the church has taught you, that suffering itself is redemptive. That is something to seek out, that it's good. And that's wrong. It's not God's will for you to suffer. It is not a test from God when you do. It is not a tool God uses to make you stronger or more faithful. And it's not the cosmic cost that Jesus pays in order for God to forgive you. Suffering is suffering. It's bad. Jesus himself relieves people's suffering when he can, and he calls us to do the same. He prays for an end to his own suffering. It even makes him question where God is in all of this pain. The idea that following Jesus is about seeking out suffering is not true. But so, I think Jesus is saying, is the idea that suffering and death should be avoided at all costs, suppressed for as long and as vigorously as they can be. 
Jesus knows that great evil is done in the name of avoiding suffering, that maybe all evil can be traced back to the fear of pain and death. Climate change in all its forms is rooted in human unwillingness to do with less comfort and less control over our environment, rooted in the fear of the chaos and unpredictability of being creatures within creation. Racial and economic inequality stem from the fear that my family and I will not have enough, that, that actually we can never have enough to feel truly safe. Our gun problem in America, violence everywhere, grows from the fear that if I'm not able to defend myself against someone, they may harm me. The desire for absolute safety and security to avoid pain at all costs, to suppress the fire, leads to evil. It's satanic, Jesus says. Not that suffering is good, but Jesus says to Peter, your mind is on the wrong thing entirely. You're focused on human things, not divine ones. Life is not about either seeking out suffering or avoiding it. Life is about love, following the God of love wherever they might lead, which, yes, is sometimes into suffering, sometimes into death, sometimes into flames. They're part of life. Don't try to suppress them. Don't try to avoid them. By, by doing that, people have done tremendous harm. But also don't be afraid. Follow love into them, Jesus says. Trust me in them. Because yes, it's true that the way of love often leads to suffering and even to death, but it also leads through it. That's the promise he makes to Peter. Jesus tells him there before everything has happened. Jesus tells him, you're focused on the before, but this story is about the after. Yes, there is destruction. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is grief and loss. And yes, it's awful. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. But I am here with you in it. And if you follow me, if you will follow into the flames and back out again, you will see there is also reconciliation. There is also resurrection. There is also renewal. There is also recovery. There is also healing and feeding. There is growth and flourishing springing up on the other side. There is an explosion of flowers blooming in the ashes. <laughs> 